0: Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we were thinking about our front lines and uh, what does it mean to be the people of God uh, for the days that we live as the scattered church in the many different places that we are during the week. And so let me just remind you of what we mean when we talk about the front lines of our life. Uh, we're talking about the places we spend most of our time uh, in the family, in our homes, Uh, In our work or vocation, whether that's uh, the work that we do that is paid, uh, or paid work, or whether it's just work that we do voluntarily, uh, we just give ourselves to. Uh, It's our social lives and our recreational life, our neighborhoods, the communities in which we're part of, the streets we're in. And uh, I added a a fifth one, it's our online social media life as, as an increasingly popular front line Of our living. And really, the call of God to His church is I've called you as a church not just for when you're together, but when you're scattered to be a sign and a witness to me and to my love and to my shalom reign, my reign of peace and goodness. And so, the way we live from day to day impacts the way the world is. It brings its own transformation, or it should, because God is at work in these places and He's at work in these places through us as well. And so it's asking the question, how do we live in those frontline places? And so far, uh, we've covered a number of of different areas. So we've spoken about modeling godly character on our front lines, and modeling and displaying godliness. Uh, We've spoken about making good work, the fact that there is dignity and value in the everyday tasks that you do, whether you're paid for them or not. What we do, our work is important. It makes contribution in some way into the world. We spoke about ministering grace and love in our front lines. God has shown us grace and love. Well, how do we minister that grace and love to those around us? Then we've also spoken about, oh, there's one short there. Yeah, molding culture. How can we influence the culture on our front lines so that people will flourish more? How do we shape the culture in good and godly ways, the places of our front line? And then today we're going to be thinking about the the fact that we're called to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice, uh, becoming champions uh, of right living and fair dealing on the front lines that we inhabit. And uh, this is all part, and just to promote this, uh, the the book that we're following through on Fruitfulness on the Front Lines by Mark Green. I really want to recommend this book to you. You can uh, pick it up on Amazon, just go on online. But it's a, it fills in the gaps that we're not either able to cover either here on a Sunday or in our life groups who are going through the series as well. And if you're able, this would be a great uh, purchase for you to go through this fruitfulness on the front line. But today, uh, we're focusing in on becoming a mouthpiece for truth and justice in our front lines. And I want to share with you some heroes for me anyway, of truth and justice uh, that I've known about, both of them in the past. Uh, one that perhaps is a well-known historic figure, another not so much. My first hero of truth and justice is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor, theologian, uh, writer, scholar uh, during, uh, the, before and during the Second World War. And he remained very outspoken against the Nazi Nazi regime. He was known for his staunch resistance to all that was happening in Germany. He was vocal in his opposition to Hitler's euthanasia, the Jewish persecution and genocide. And he continued to speak out. Even when he was silenced, he chose to speak for truth and justice. He eventually was was imprisoned, sent to a concentration camp, and he was hanged on the 9th of April, 1945, not just weeks before the war ended. And when I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's books and his meditations and his letters and his thoughts, I'm struck by the way in in which, in spite of the risk that would eventually take his life, He was a man who understood that God calls us to speak truth and justice in the face of injustice, manipulation, deceit. But we can't all be, I don't imagine, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, much as we might want to hear his life shape our lives and remind us of what we're called to. So my other hero is Gibble. I was introduced to Gibbo, never met him, but I was introduced to Gibbo through the Alpha Course. Um, one of the talks by Nicky Gumbel on the Alpha Course is about how does God guide us? And he tells a story about Gibbo, who he had met. And Gibbo was a clerk in Selfridges, the department store in London. And he worked in the office of the guy who started and owned Selfridges, Gordon Selfridge the founder of Selfridges and Gibble worked in the office and one day the phone rang in the office And he picked up the phone and the person who was phoning him said that he'd like to speak to Gordon Selfridge So Gibble uh, put the phone to the side walked over and and said to Mr. Selfridge said "Uh, So-and-so is on the phone to you And uh, Gordon Selfridge said to him tell him I'm out And Gibble said Tell them yourself. You tell him you're out. Well, there was a a little bit of a kind of awkward moment. But the story goes on to say that Gibbo then said to his boss, Remember, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. Gibbo's testimony was that he became one of the most trusted, close workers of Gordon Selfridge. Why? Because he knew he wouldn't lie. He stood up for truth and justice in the face of a boss who wanted to tell him a lie. And while we can't all be Dietrich Bonhoeffers, I think we can be Gibbles in our front lines wherever we are. Heroes of truth and justice, becoming a mouthpiece of truth and justice. How can we live as champions of right living and fair dealing on our front lines? Well, we're gonna look at a text this morning uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 12. But before we get to it, I think it's worth remembering how the Bible narrative sets up the story. And so a brief summary of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 11 is the well-known story of sad story of King David and the web of lust, adultery, deceit, and manipulation that unfolded in his life. The underhand, unjust, unfair, ungodliness of what happened with King David. And there's a common theme that you find in chapter 11. It's the theme of sending. The picture is one of of David kind of organizing and manipulating all kinds of situations so he can control things and have his own way. And so in chapter 11, uh, we find uh, David sending Joab and his army off to war. He's the king, he's in control, he's sending. But while he's sending the armies off to the war, what is David doing? David is out on his porch. And what's he doing? He's watching his neighbors. And he sets his eyes on a female who he sees from where he stands. He sees Bathsheba. Bathsheba is Uriah's wife. Uriah who is out on the front lines of the battle. And so David has sent Joab and the army He is on his porch watching Bathsheba. And David then sends someone to find out, who is this girl? Who is this girl that I have set my eyes on? It's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. So David then sends messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. And if you know the story, you'll know that Bathsheba is brought to David, and David and Bathsheba sleep together. And she falls pregnant. Well, David has a dilemma. In his unfaithfulness, and his disobedience, and in his sin, what does he do now about Bathsheba and about this new baby? Well, David again sends this word to Joab, send me Uriah. And so Joab sends Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, all the way back. Well, it doesn't take too much of a genius to know what might be expected of a husband and a wife when the the husband comes back from war. So there's some coverage that David has. So Uriah comes home. Joab sends him. And then David writes a note, and he sends it with Uriah, a sealed royal seal with a letter Out with Uriah when he returned to the front line, a letter that would seal Uriah's death, make sure Uriah is right at the front. And of course, Uriah dies. Joab sent David a full account that Uriah was dead. And then David sent for Bathsheba to be brought to him. What a web! Of manipulation and control and deceit. As David gets caught up in this lies. is sending frantically people all over the place. Trying to make sure that he's not caught or caught out. And all of this he's doing secretly. Manipulating to cover up. In many ways David is acting like many other kings. And those with power. Using the resources, including the people around him, manipulate them for his own ends. He's in control, directing, acting, sending to cover up his private failings. There's an awful lot of David sending to cover up. But God now interrupts the story. God interrupts the corruption and the deceit and the manipulation and the injustice of it all by sending someone. He sends Nathan. And friends, this is part of what it means to be sent by God, that we have to be the mouthpiece of truth and justice in our front lines. God sent Nathan He breaks into the story of deception and injustice and he sends someone. And so chapter 12 begins, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. That's what it means to be part of the sent people of God. We're on the mission of God so that we also speak truth and justice into the world wherever we are from day to day. So let's read the chapter. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when Nathan came to him, he said, and he begins to tell him a story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and he even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So Nathan tells David a story of exploitation and theft, something that belongs to another. Well, David is indignant. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David serves judgment on this story. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. That's you the story is about. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more all that God had done for David but Nathan speaks truth and justice why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wow The bravery of Nathan. Knowing that David had already organized for Uriah to be killed. But Nathan is a sent one of God. Sent to speak truth and justice. And so bravely. Through a story that David almost serves judgment on himself. Nathan is able to speak truth and justice into the situation. Anthony Billington and Neil Hudson who prepared the material for the life groups on this course said this. In this moment, he, Nathan, is God's person in the story. God wants to get David back on track. It's not just that David has acted badly, though he has. He's throwing away all that God can do with and through him. God works hard to get David's attention and Nathan is asked to be the courageous mouthpiece in the action it's not just about confronting the wrong or the injustice or the lie that's been committed it's about helping people find their way back to God and his best it's about saying something yes that doesn't contribute to the injustice says nothing about it but it also is longing to bring that person back into restoration The purpose, even though he's risking everything, is that somehow through Nathan, David will come back to God and put right the things that are wrong as much as is possible. Nathan is the one sent, the sent one. And so he tells this story. And then he says, "David, don't you see this as you?" Now the purpose of being a mouthpiece of truth and justice is not just about putting things in the right way again for the sake of all. But it's so that people might find forgiveness and freedom from guilt and shame. Now I know this myself. You know what it's like when you are doing something that you shouldn't be. We know what it's like to carry shame and guilt. Particularly if we then try to start to cover up, it, it creates almost like a web around us that we can't get out of. Actually, the prophets are a gift to speak into and about things so that we can seek forgiveness and so we can be free rather than being stuck in our secrecy of sin. That's the worst place to be, the secrecy of our sin. We need to be liberated from it. And so not only is Nathan helping to put things right with the king and the kingdom, he's giving David an opportunity to find forgiveness and freedom from the shame and the guilt and to put things right, to make amends, as we say in the fellowships, to make amends for what we've done that's wrong. And the people and the purpose of mouthpiece of truth and justice is that the truth will set us free. That restoration or reconciliation and rebuilding can take place. That a situation that's wrong can be made right and something new can be built from it. That proper godly goodness can be restored even in our front lines. That perhaps we can, by speaking this truth and justice, avert further damage. Or maybe we can help someone to repair damage. Or we avert more destruction and disaster and instead restore fairness and right and dignity and goodness. Restore truth and justice. Nathan's obedience to God is in fact an act of love, not an act of revenge. The motivations are very different. And when we act out of, I'm going to get them. I'm going to, I'm going to out them because we want revenge. That in itself will just contribute to the web of destruction and sin. But when we approach it out of love and mercy and grace to say, Oh Lord, how can we restore this person or, or this, this place or these actions out of love? That causes it to do it. In such a different way. If you remember the the picture of Jesus in John chapter 8 when he is confronted or a woman is brought to him, it's not the man who's brought, it's the woman who's brought because she was caught in adultery with a man. Where's the man? Why is he not there? It's cultural in those times, but where's the man? And this woman is brought before him. And all the religious leaders are saying, well, you know, look at her. Look at what she's done. And what should we do? Should we stone her? And I love the way that Jesus steps in in that picture. It says that he kneels down and he drew something in the, in the sand. And I've always wondered, what, what, what was it he might have drawn in there? But what he does is he gets down to the level probably of the woman. And it's almost as if Jesus steps in between her and those he wanted to stone her. And he speaks truth and justice. He says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And so in an amazing way, Jesus speaks first of all truth and justice to the leaders. But then he also speaks truth and justice to the women. Go in peace and sin no more. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus out of love and mercy speaking to all involved so that they might find restoration. They might make amends. They might go and live a better way. But we know that being a mouthpiece of truth and justice means we have to face the potential of a cost or the consequence. For Nathan it was risky for him to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice. Knowing what had happened. And I think for us as the people of God. There's a call that costs. Even in our front lines. To be people of truth. And justice. To speak when we see. That which is wrong and unjust. And I imagine. That in most contexts. To speak up potentially is costly, calling out someone on their unjust actions. It's a risky business telling the truth and calling out injustice. The problem is silence and inaction contributes to the cultures of lies and cover up and secrecy and manipulation and injustice. Silence doesn't do nothing. It contributes to the culture of lies and cover-up and manipulation and injustice. What does this look like on some of our front lines? Let me read some of this book to you this morning. This can look like different things wherever we are. It can be in the volcanic invective often spewed out at referees by molten vein bulging parents on the touchline of kids' football games. Or in our blithe acceptance of the plumber's nonchalant offer to do the job for cash that makes it hard for a more honest plumber to make a living at all. It can be in the widespread falsification of our CV. Or the casual little lies of convenience that litter our conversation. Oh, he's not in. Oh, I'll get that to you tomorrow. No, I don't think I got that email. Speaking up for truth and justice might involve sticking up for your neighbour in a dispute with the local council, or for an elderly parent, or an autistic child. It might involve blowing the whistle on an incompetent staff member in your hospital, or on a builder who's fraudulently and dangerously not constructed a building to the required standard. It might involve challenging a work colleague about the hours being charged to a particular client or taking on an unjust appraisal system or challenging your company to make sure their outsourced cleaners are paid a living wage, not just a minimum wage. Such situations require courage and tact to resolve well. And so do the abuses of power that occur in more common everyday situations. The mouthpiece of truth and justice, making it normal in our lives. And there are ways that we need to do this. It is costly, but we do it better when we do it, as the Bible suggests. Three short verses from the New Testament. That when we speak the truth, we speak it in love. When we speak it in revenge, we contribute to the injustice. That we would speak truth with grace. That Jesus comes full of truth and grace. And if we are in Christ, we also must speak with truth, but with grace. And from Colossians 4:6, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, when we are to become the mouthpiece of God in the face of injustice. Now, these not are easy places to get to. And so, finally, as we finish, there's some parts of this that are just every day learning to speak truth. And justice in our workplaces, in, in in normal, everyday ways. So it becomes part of us. And then there are other times where honestly we need to prepare for it. Because there may be a cost to it. And we need to do that prayerfully. And so I want to suggest a few things for you this morning as as you think about being a sent one of God, being called to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice. Some things that will help you. The first is in prayerful preparation. Ask the Lord, Lord, where am I? What's in me? You know that voice of Jesus saying, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone." So Lord, is there anything in me? Is there anything of revenge? Is there anything of hatred? Is there anything of unrighteous anger? What's in me? I, I, I immediately thought of Psalm 139 and the closing verses. I've always loved one Psalm 139, except for the verses towards the end. I never got it until now. So I'm going to read the verses immediately before this as well. See, if we're in that angry place, we're saying things like, Maybe not as violent as this, but if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. That's not the best place to come out of to speak as the mouthpiece of truth and justice. And so the psalmist then says, Lord, search me. Search me. And know my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Starting point in prayer, if we're going to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice, say, Lord, is there anything in me? What's in me? What's not right in me? Come and deal with it. Lord, forgive me. Let your grace be upon me. Where am I, Lord? What's in me? So that we are in the right place to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice. And then we might want to pray, Lord, what do I say? And how do I say it? You know, having been in that place of, Lord, what's in me? We're humbling ourselves. We're protecting ourselves from self righteousness or judgmentalism or tainted motivations and ungodly anger and revenge. But now we're saying, But God, I'm asking for wisdom. Help me. Help me know what needs to be said. Help me know what doesn't need to be said. Man, I know that there are times, I mean of course Carolyn and I are near perfect, you know, but occasionally we we have arguments. And and sometimes I know that once I get into a role with what I might want to say, she's got her head down and laughing. (laughs) What I might want to say suddenly leads to another thing and another thing and another thing that are utterly unrelated and totally unhelpful. You know that bit that says, love keeps no record of wrongs? God help me. There's some things that have to be said. There's some things really that don't. God, give me wisdom to know what must be said and what must not be said to make sure that our words of truth and justice are intended for good, for love, for redemption. And then ask God, what do I need? Lord, I, I need grace. I need your spirit. I need mercy. I need love for this person so that my words of truth And justice can come from that place. I need strength because this is not easy to do. I need strength to take this moment of courage and to use it well. So I'm asking God, God, what do I need? And then asking God to give it to me in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes we might need to think about who our intercessors are. There's a story of Daniel in um, Daniel chapter two, when, on the way to going to see the king to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice, do you know what he does, he gets his mates to pray for him. He goes to his friends and he says, "Listen, here's what's about to happen. Will you pray for me? Will you call in the name of the Lord on my behalf?" And for those of us who might be in situations where we need to step in and say something that we know has risk or threat or cost attached to it, let's get some intercessors praying for you to cover you in that moment. Praying and prayerful preparation so that we can give a mouthpiece of truth and justice in the ordinary every day and then in some of the big places on our front lines that need it. And so I'd like to take you through a moment of prayer this morning as we think about our front lines. And so I want you just to, if it helps to close your eyes, then close your eyes. I want want you to think about a place in your front line, whether it's family and home or work or where you volunteer or your recreational life or social life. Your neighborhood, online, where there's, and just survey it. What injustices are there? Where might it benefit from a word of truth with grace, justice with mercy? I just want you to picture that place or that person. Holy Spirit, would you bring people or situations to mind? that as your sent ones you might be sending us to? Like Nathan, might there be things that God might be prompting you to do or say about all of this? And if something or someone comes to mind, just ask Lord, where am I? What's in me? Search me, O God. Is there anger? Is there unrighteous anger? Hatred? Bitterness? Oh God. Help us. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Is there any offensive way within me? Father, forgive me. Deal with that which is in me. Lord, give us wisdom to know what to say and what not to say. Give us wisdom to know how to say, how to speak, how to approach. Come Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. And Holy Spirit keep us alert to an obvious moment when it might just be the right time to speak. And Lord, we ask for grace and for what we need for mercy, for love, for patience, for strength, for a gentle spirit. Give us strength to take the moment of courage and to use it well. And Lord, bring to mind perhaps those who can join in prayer with me if there's something that needs to be said. That they might stand in the gap for me, with me, that I might become a mouthpiece of truth and justice. And perhaps we could read aloud this prayer together that's on the screen. Father, help me to love mercy. Seek justice and walk humbly before you on my front line. Give me ears to discern where falsehoods reign. Eyes to see where injustice has its roots wisdom and courage to cultivate truth and justice for your glory may it be amen